Hello everyone, my name is Michael from Kendall World and welcome to the latest edition of KED Talks. Today we're very lucky to have been joined by Donatella Castelli from Italy. Donatella began Kendo back in 1985 in Bologna, which is uh, where she's from. Um, so she's been practicing Kendo for about 35 years, 36 years now. Um, she's yeah. spent a lot of time practicing Kendo in the many countries that she's lived in, including uh, Italy, obviously, Germany, Japan, and uh, the, the Netherlands. Um, so, Donatella, welcome to Kendo World. Happy to be here. So, I couldn't repeat it enough. <laughs> so, I feel that um, we should address the elephant in the room, and that elephant in the room being that um, congratulations on your Congratulations on Italy's victory in the Euro 2020 final against England. Do you have any yeah, comments you'd well, like to make about that before we move swiftly on? I really appreciate your congratulations and I'm savouring your pain. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. This will be the first and only time that we mention this. <laughs> All right, yes. so uh, back in your uh, introduction, I mentioned that you'd started Kendo <laughs> in Bologna in 1985. Uh, what first led you to starting Kendo? I guess let's start at the beginning. So it's, it has been my love for books and Japan. And I had a, a book that belonged to my father. And there I found these beautiful images of uh, Kenshi, a beautiful picture of a man uh, wearing a man and of the Nippon Budokan. So I thought that that image stayed with me. I always knew that I wanted to practice kendo. And uh, I was also always interested in Japan and uh, in general, uh, Far East culture. And um, when I, I started to get closer to Japan arts and practices, let's say through judo, later it was uh, practicing Zazen with a teacher here. And then I thought that kendo would have been a perfect, uh, let's say, way to proceed in this direction, and uh, but that was very brainy way to approach uh, the thing. I think that in the end, I simply liked kendo, and uh, that was the reason that I practiced for so long. I was just fascinated by the practice and uh, the and the environment, uh, the people I met. That was really a, a huge factor. So did, did you do much traveling around Italy for kendo? Or was there just the one kendo club in Bologna and you had to go to other places as well? Uh, no, uh, actually, kendo in Italy started in Milan and Turin. And still they are the two biggest cities uh, kendo-wise. But uh, of course, there, there has been a, a huge uh, spread since I started. But uh, uh, in Bologna, there was one of the, the one club, and uh, later on, I also practiced in uh, Ravenna. That was also uh, I, I created my own club uh, in Bologna, so there were two. And then I moved to Milan, and uh, in the end, I also created my own club while I was there. Still there, the club. I still member of that club. And um, and then, of course, I followed uh, every time that I had the possibility to practice in a different city, I would uh, go for it. But at the very beginning of my career, we would travel 
from Bologna, for example, to Bergamo, which is in any case a couple of hours of uh, by car, to practice with a godan. And to us, it was really exciting because that was the level. Wow, a godan. And, uh, and just by chance, those godan became very, very uh, well-known uh, Kenshi in Europe, like uh, Jean-Pierre Rec or Alain de Guitre. So, but for us in those days, that was the, the only opportunities that we, that we got. And uh, later on in my career, of course, I could uh, move around uh, Europe, uh, especially when I, after I entered the national team. And then uh, I practice every time I had the opportunity when I travel for work. Uh, most of I, I would bring my bogo with me. I did it even in South America. Uh, I was there for work and I would bring my bogo and I had the opportunity to practice in Brazil. I tried even in Chile, but it was a bit, uh, the, the, the circumstances didn't uh, allow me, but I met the people in, uh, in Chile and uh, I was, I think that Kendo is a great way to travel and uh, to make friends and to, to feel welcome wherever you go, in a sense. So bring your bogu and you're welcome everywhere. Okay, great. Yeah, I've, I've only had experience of mostly in Japan and just a few times in, in England. But uh, yeah, I haven't been able to, to travel around the world as you have. I'm quite jealous about that. <laughs> but I must say that, you know, we Kendo people are so strange compared to other, you know, uh, sport people, let's say, that when we meet, uh, you know, it's always a, a big uh, a big party. So, oh, we have somebody coming from, everybody's always welcome, is always a welcome guest. Mm -hmm. So this, um, it, it's a community that you can really count on. Uh, at least this was my experience. So you should travel in Europe more often. Okay. So I, I noticed from your bio that, that you gave us that, so you started Kendo in 85 and then you were a, a member of the Italian team by 1990? Yeah, 1990. I was um, like a, a sort of a spare wheel in 1989, but uh, I was part of the team in 1990. That was Berlin. That was, was the, my first uh, championship. The, the EKC, I take it, in, in yes. Berlin? Okay. In, in Berlin, yeah. There was a still a, a East Germany at the time. It still existed. Oh, wow. the, the wall had gone down uh, just a short time before. So it was a, a incredible evolution I, I saw. Through, through Kendo, I could live uh, pieces of history, I dare say, right, <laughs> of right, European right. history. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so how 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 did you how did you find making the transition from you know just being a normal dojo member to a member of a national team? Uh, well, frankly speaking, it, I didn't find it particularly let's say taxing. Meaning that in I belong to a group of uh, Kenshi that refused and still refused to give too much. Uh, emphasis to the shy aspect, meaning that uh, shy is just a part of practice. So being a member of the national team in those days was, of course, a big honor. I would leave it like that. But it's also, you had to take it as a, let's say, uh, as a duty and uh, you had to, let's say, do your best within the, your practice. So I didn't feel that it was a, a big um, 
departure from what I was doing, practicing in uh, in my dojo. Uh, I, I took it seriously as I, I, I should have. And uh, I didn't feel particularly privileged. I, actually, I felt that I had to work harder to deserve the spot. And um, I've been in there for quite some time because my last uh, championship was in 2003. And uh, I decided to to quit the team uh, because I had to prepare myself for uh, Rokudan. And so I thought it was a good time to say goodbye to everybody. So, so you, actually, years in. <laughs> you, you actually competed in, in Scotland in 2003? Yes, I did. I was in the in the ladies team. I got also my fighting spirit for, okay. uh, in, the, in the team competition. So that, that was your... uh, We made the best eight, actually. Okay. Oh, right, yeah. So that, that was your final world champs, 2003 then. And then that was actually, we yeah. spoke to Christian Philippi before and that was his first one. So I guess that's kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he was one of the... Started. Yeah. One of the young young ones, so to say. Uh, no, I for me, that was the last. And uh, actually, I think I, I had the opportunity to, to to take part in, you know, how, how many world championships... I was in, um, of course, in uh, um, Scotland. Before that, I was in US. I skipped Kyoto on purpose, and uh, I was in Paris. And I was uh, Paris. Uh, actually, I was in the Goodwill Keiko because there was no ladies' uh, championship at the time. There was a Goodwill uh, championship that, by the way, was won by a lady from Japan who was uh, fighting uh, under the flag of Hong Kong. And that was uh, Horibe-sensei. And oh. um, so there was only the Goodwill Keiko and the Japanese ladies were not taking part in 1994. And uh, the Japanese ladies instead were part of a demonstration team of uh, 12, 12 ladies who fought against 12 Ladies and men from Europe, and I was one of uh, one of those. I was selected to be one of those. How was and, that experience? Uh, how, how was that experience fighting like, the Japanese in a competitive situation? Well, uh, it was mass. Well, mm, it was a massive honor to be there. Uh, I think it was. Um, I, I found it uh, interesting and stimulating. Uh, of course, uh, you felt uh, you could feel a bit um, overwhelmed at the beginning because you think, oh, my God, the Japanese. Uh, but then you get the feeling that you, you had an opportunity to do something while you were in there. And, uh, of course, we managed to lose. In that demonstration team, uh, everybody lost uh, apart from one. We made a hikiwake. But uh, apart from that, uh, it was a... Uh, you know, it, it was a massive honor because we got the impression also that it was the beginning, finally, of our world championship with a lady individual and a ladies team. Did it? And, did it, uh, it become for, for ladies? It became an official event in two thousand and three, or was it two thousand six? Uh, no, it it happened. The following things happened. We had. Uh, 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 Kyoto, um, Paris in 94, where we had only the demonstration team. Then we had Kyoto in 97, which was disgraceful because the world was divided in good ones and bad ones. There were two divisions made, and that was the reason why I refused to take part. 
And, um, and that was still not official ladies championship. Then it was still semi-official in 2000 when we were in Santa Clara, USA. It kind and of it actually resembled a regular tournament in Santa Clara. Yeah. But it still wasn't yeah, official, I believe. It was semi-official, semi-official. Okay. And uh, um, actually, I have a very clear memory of that because uh, we had the general assembly of uh, FIK in, in that situation. And I was, uh, as president of the Italian Federation, I was part of the assembly. And uh, we had to take a vote regarding the semi-official championship. And, uh, of course, I was not particularly enthusiastic about the fact that nobody taught me how to fight semi-officially. So, uh, in the end, uh, there was a vote, and there was a vote uh, that was meant to be uh, who is in favor of uh, uh, who is against the semi-official uh, tournament, and uh, then we change. I suggest to change the vote. Who is in? Who is the other way around? So who is uh, uh, against an official championship? And then in the end, nobody was against. So and then we had an official championship starting 2003, but before it was a semi-official, and. Um, it was a long way to, to go. And uh, it's not finished yet because we are still expecting to see a world championship with the total uh, equality between men and women's fight. Uh, same duration in, with the same possibility of a day of rest between individual and team. So we are not there yet. We were supposed to be there in Paris. It was supposed to be for, for, for this year, wasn't it? Um, it's supposed to be... Yeah. Four days, but yeah, I'm, I remember. I, I, I've, who was it we spoke to before? I think uh, Kazuya Matsuda. I think it was when I spoke to her mm -hmm. before about the difference in the women's competition, where you'd have men's individual on the first day, ladies' individual and team on the second day, and then men's team on the the third. And mm -hmm. that, that was a that, that was a must be a really hard day for if you're competing in both the individuals and the team to do them yeah, both at the same. Not not just for the competitors, but for the officials as well. It's a it's a long day, but that it's was uh, what we saw in uh, Incheon. Incheon was very hard, also for the referees. How can you expect a referee to? We've been inside the sport hall from eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock in the evening, because we had first the individual and then the teams. And uh, of course, when you are in that kind of position, uh, and of course, if you don't have a completely set, different set of players. For the individual and the and the team, uh, of course, uh, you have uh, people who have to be a top form, top peak uh, form for 12 hours. That is not possible, and maybe they've been training for that for three years. So it, we we think we ladies think that that is deeply unfair. So having a, a world championship uh, spread on four days is uh, the only way to go. And there would be a lot of time also for other initiatives like Godogeiko, uh, go back to the original meaning of the World Championship that was also meeting people from all over the world and having Keiko with people from all over the world. Not only the strict competition, then Sayonara Party and then go, yeah, mm. so to say. Well, yeah, I mean, it was supposed to happen 
2021 to be spread spread over four days, but obviously that's been cancelled. So hopefully, well, it should still go ahead in 2024. I, I hope this pandemic doesn't last any any longer. Um, we we all hope that. Yeah, indeed. 2024 sounds like a good year. So one of the uh, things I wanted to talk to you about is I mentioned before that you had um, spent time in different countries practicing. Um, what what actually brought you to Japan in was it two thousand and eight? Thirteen. Two thousand thirteen. No, no. Two thousand thirteen. And, and uh, you were here for one year, is that right, or two years? Yeah, uh, one year, one year, correct. And uh, well, I've been coming to Japan, of course, every year since two thousand and five. I think the first time I was in Japan was nineteen ninety five, so it was ages ago. And then uh, I had a 10 years break. I was a bit busy with work. And uh, I was back in 2005. And since 2005, I came to Japan every year at least once, till the pandemic, of course. And um, in 2013, I had um, this crazy idea, actually it was the dream of my life to, to work in Japan. And uh, I threw some friends, I, I got uh, news that there could have been a possibility to be employed by uh, uh, a Boguya. So, and that was indeed a true possibility. So I went through an interview process. And uh, I, in September 2013, I started my work at uh, Tozando. So you, and, um, you were able to get a, a year break from your current job in order to come over? Uh, no, it was even better than that. Uh, my previous contract had, um, was over in the uh, end of April. So technically, when my, my previous job, I, I was supposed to look for another uh, uh, permanent job after that. But... Uh, that happened exactly before my usual yearly break uh, visit to Japan. And uh, while I was in Japan, I, I started thinking that it could be real, that I could find a job in Japan before finding another permanent job in, uh, in Europe. And uh, so it, it, there was no need to ask for a break. And um, it was a, a great time. Then, of course, when I was back from Japan, I... I went back to be my usual self working in IT and uh, being a project manager and, and so on. But I had this uh, fantastic year at the Tuzando for till, from September 2013 till September 2014. So that, that was based at their, their main office in Kyoto? The home, the, in Kyoto, the yes. So how, how did you find that then, going from working in Europe to working, working in Japan? Is there, how did you find it? Well, um, I, I always say that I could write a book about it. And um, I think it, the, the experience was uh, extremely surreal at times. And, uh, but I really wanted to, to succeed. And, um, but I, it was quite a steep learning curve. And uh, sometimes, from time to time, I even think now that, oh, yeah, that was the reason why. <laughs> so the, I always said that um, um, there's a lot in common between Italy and Japan. Uh, and people always look at me strangely and said, because both in Italy and Japan, 
unwritten rules are way more important than the written ones. And uh, so, and most rules in Italy, the unwritten rules are there to take away from the written ones. While in Japan, the unwritten rules are there to add to the written ones. So there is much more that you have to take care of uh, when you're there because uh, uh, it's really, sometimes it's um, really beyond imagination because uh, it's a truly a different way of thinking. And uh, although I did my best, of course, to be prepared and uh, I had, I still have a limited uh, knowledge of the language, not, not zero, but enough to get by. And my job didn't uh, imply uh, working uh, in Japanese, only as limited, uh, limited amount. I had to write to the warehouse, for example, and from time to time I had to uh, answer very short, uh, very short questions. But uh, apart from being there, my job is, you know, uh, saying hello and saying goodbye in Japanese and and being part of the chorei in the morning, uh, my job was mainly in English because it was an international um, department position. So I would interact with international customers. So what, uh, were, your, but, what were your main responsibilities then? What, what was a typical working day at Tozano? Hmm. Yeah, well, a typical working day would have been to uh, answer uh, emails from customers. Maybe they would have questions about a technical question regarding uh, pieces of equipment or more, let's say, logistic question like uh, when do I, can I receive this order or do, can you replace this piece or whatever. And um, that was part of the job. So interacting with customers. And that would have been, let's say, the most important thing because customer service was considered, you know, you can't, you couldn't uh, uh, be slow or drop uh, a claim or anything of the kind. And in that, that we were very strict. And on the other side, I was also, let's say, consulting a bit uh, the company regarding the uh, equipment that maybe in Europe would be considered uh, more interesting or would be more difficult, for example, also to, uh, to source. So I also had the opportunity, they gave me the opportunity to have my own uh, web store. So where I could uh, select some items and uh, I could uh, propose them. I could write a blog with my views about equipment and uh, that was very much uh, part of the uh, of the job, and um, I also have to add that uh, Tozan was very understanding with me. Uh, I had uh, to rush to training in a couple of uh, nights uh, of the week, so at uh, six six o'clock was it six o'clock? I I could drop uh, everything six sharp, not before, but six, <laughs> six sharp. I, I could drop everything and go to training. And uh, I also had the opportunity to go for Asageiko in, uh, on Friday morning at the uh, prefecture police uh, that was nearby. So that was quite an adventure, biking there, having one hour Jigeiko, then biking back, having a shower, go to the office and start a normal day. But it was 
exciting. It was fantastic. How, how was it training with the police? I think that's something that a lot of us wish that, that we could do, but don't get the opportunity. Well, uh, the, we are not talking about Tokuren. Eh? We are talking about uh, a, a number of members of the police uh, department there. So some, there were a lot of also guests that were particularly strong. Uh, from time to time, uh, we would have uh, examination practice because a lot of the members were close to uh, 7th Dan or even Hachidan. So it was um, a very um, compact practice, like it is in most dojo in Japan. Actually, it was quite a surprise for me, uh, the difference between the way we train in Europe and the way we, they train in Japan. And uh, only one hour, so not much time for Kihon, just very, very short Kihon practice. And then there would be Jigeiko or examination practice. And... Um, it was uh, it was great. There are still uh, I try to go and visit every year, and I still meet the same uh, gentlemen who are there. And uh, I was um, particularly in a prefecture. I, I was living in Nishijin, which is uh, in the north part of uh, Kyoto, and uh, the prefecture dojo and the prefecture police dojo were very close, and I would. Uh, go there very uh, regularly. And I would be told by Ito-sensei. Ito-sensei is a, a gentleman that unfortunately cannot practice anymore, a former policeman. And he would come to training impeccably dressed with a tie and a jacket. And he would uh, follow the, uh, the training. And, um, and I was always surprised that he would follow the training and then no... I found it a bit strange that uh, on Friday morning, when everybody was in a hurry to go to work, uh, nobody would go to him to ask for uh, uh, advice after the practice. And we had uh, a lot of examination practice. And um, when I asked him, and finally find somebody who could translate my broken Japanese to him, actually, uh, he gave me the single piece of advice that really made me pass my nanadan. So I will be eternally grateful to him, <laughs> even if we never practice together. So you took your Nanadan while you were living in Kyoto at that time? No, uh, shortly after. I, I came back uh, to Italy and uh, the first opportunity in Europe, I, I went for Nanadan and I passed. So you, you were, oh, congratulations on that, by the way. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So you said you were about a year working in Kyoto. Do you, do you wish it was longer or was a year enough and time to get back to your main career? Well, actually, I came back not to my main career, but I came back uh, for more personal reasons because my, my mother, unfortunately, was not, uh, not well. Uh, but I would have loved to stay longer, definitely. Um, maybe another year, I think... Uh, things would have been even smoother in a sense because uh, of course all the learning curve would have been uh, let's say uh, let's say not so steep it's also true that in the year i was there we were in a fantastic international department team that i will always uh, remember and um, so just uh, to mention my friend yubo my friend sara and sato san who was not our what we call them, our fake Japanese, because mm -hmm. uh, we, we love him to bits, really, definitely. 
And uh, it was a fantastic team. And of course, the team changed later on and it would have been exactly the same. But I think uh, if I could, and unfortunately, I was right to come back because uh, definitely the health of my mother started to fail and uh, it was good to be back uh, mm. to Europe. But uh, I would have loved to stay there longer if I could. I think if you'd have made it to, to two years there, you, you would probably still be there now. I think that happens to a lot of us. My original plan was... <laughs> I'll come to Japan for two years and next year will be mm. 20, I think, or the year after will be 20. So nicely. <laughs> well, to a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I must say that uh, I, I still hope that one day I can go back to Kimura uh, Kaicho um, and Yamamoto-san and ask, uh, would you have an old uh, European lady for another year? And I would be very happy to go there again. <laughs> but uh, for the time being, I'm, I'm busy with my profession here. Okay, great. So wh while you were for that one year in Tokyo, uh, in Kyoto, was that the, the kind of genesis then that you got the idea for the World Kendo Network, which uh, you mm -hmm. started? Actually, uh, it was earlier than that. Uh, I think that what made the difference was the creation of uh, Facebook. Let's put it like that. Uh, we, um, I say we because uh, Maruyama Sensei, who is my good friend living in uh, in Kyoto, um, he had he was the one who started uh, World Kendo Network brainstorming. So we met in his home, and there was a number of in, in initial founders of World Kendo Network, and uh, his plan. Uh, and this, I must say, this is truly his ideal, and uh, he was the one to set the target that we want to become one million uh, members of World Kendo Network. And uh, he's truly uh, a pure soul, so in, in this sense. And um, I was very happy to help him, at least to enable him to start this, and uh, of course to offer him also all the connection that I could have in Europe or out of Japan in general to, to create a World Kendo Network. And, but we truly think that uh, Kendo is um, a small world, but populated by great people. And uh, I think that uh, World Kendo Network is uh, a way to explore the social part of Kendo. Uh, so it's not only about Facebook, it's about using Facebook and possibly meet and practice together. And uh, that is the main purpose. Then, of course, these days, it's, uh, we can have a bit of entertainment uh, watching videos of uh, past the championships or past the Kyoto Daikai. But um, the purpose of World Kendo Network is really to connect people and enable them to practice together. And... That is also the reason why we organize events, two events every year, at least we used to. Mm -hmm. uh, one event on the 2nd of May in Kyoto, it's a day-long uh, seminar, come shy, friendly shy, come dinner all together. And that happens in, in Kyoto. And then um, uh, Maruyama Sensei and I try to pick a different country every year and uh, visit uh, the country to make friends. There is truly no other reason and practice together. 
and uh, try to propagate the idea of World Candle Network. So when was the first, you, you had the kind of the, the day-long Gashku or the day-long meeting in Kyoto. When was the first one of those? I think that in 2019, we did the fourth. So I, then it's uh, 18, 17, 16. Uh, so 15, 2015. Okay. And, uh, so you, you were so actually in Kyoto at that time uh, working? I uh, yeah. No, it was immediately after. Immediately after. Oh, okay. So we started before. Uh, so there was a, a, for some time, we started thinking about how World Kendo Network should work and uh, how it should translate into uh, a true movement, so to say. So I think that World Candle Network existed already when I was there. We, we founded it maybe the year before, something like that. But uh, then uh, the, we started organizing an, an event starting from 2015. And then we started visiting countries. And the last one we visited was uh, Thessaloniki in Greece. Before, there was an uh, island in Dublin. Uh, we've been um, in uh, Istanbul was the first time uh, that we uh, went, we ventured out. We were in Berlin. So we were trying to uh, organize uh, a number of these events uh, around Europe and uh, meeting as many Kenji as possible. So you, you were supposed to be doing one last year as well. Where was that going to be? Uh, well, actually, we were we started thinking about moving somewhere North America, or we were considering uh, either we were considering Canada. Uh, but most of the time, uh, what we do it was really opening up the let's say the competition and asking uh, on World Candle Network who is interested in having a World Candle Network event, and then. Uh, we are not, of course, uh, we are not the one to ask, can we come to you? But most of the time we get an offer, would you come and practice with us? And uh, that is what we do. So we were trying to expand. We've been a lot in Europe. We would like to expand a bit more, um, of course, elsewhere. And uh, in particular, Maruyama Sensei has been traveling every time that he came for the single official event. Uh, then he managed to visit a lot of other countries. That's the, the luck of Europe. You know, you, you can be in, in four countries in uh, one week if you want to. Mm -hmm. So what, what are the kind of big logistical challenges that you face then with, all, with, with getting such a big group of people over to a, another country? Well, actually, uh, it's not a big logistical challenge because uh, most of the people that would we had people moving from country to country, but it's never the 17,000 members of World Candle Network, of course. Uh, people who are in the region or maybe nearby, they would join. But it's very much like a, a, big, uh, a big seminar or medium-sized tournament. We, we stress the fact that it's a friendly tournament. We don't have to... Uh, to be too, let's say, too strict with the external uh, referees being invited. We want to keep it as friendly as possible. So it's not really a logistic challenge. The only thing we need is a, 
a dojo that is uh, has a larger hole uh, hole available and uh, possibly homestays for Maruyama and me and maybe someone else that is coming from nearby countries. So we try to make it uh, as uh, friendly as possible. We don't. We are not in competition with any other, let's say, uh, um, comp competitive event or around. So we really, truly want to know the people. Maybe have uh, one getting to know the local food and visiting the the biggest uh, attraction of the of the town, and um, of course um, propagating this information on uh, on World Kendo Network just to make people feel that, uh, you know, you have friends here and uh, come visit too. So in the, the Japanese or the events that you've done uh, in Japan, uh, you mm -hmm. also do like, kind of cultural activities. I think you've, you've done some singing and... and uh, True. I know Mariama mm -hmm. says into the tea ceremony. Have you been able to take those type of activities over to... to uh, it has been done individually by Maruyama Sensei, who's been uh, uh, very flexible in organizing tea ceremonies. I remember that he did one in, uh, in Milan. He told me that he did one in Milan without having all his precious equipment, but uh, the spirit was certainly there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's true that uh, the, the general idea is that uh, we organized in Japan uh, not only the Keiko and um, the competition, we had uh, violin players or traditional, more traditional koto players, or we had uh, traditional dances. And uh, we definitely, uh, that was the, the art part. We had also had opera singing, actually. And um, plus we um, give other martial art group the opportunity to present their martial arts. Uh, so it happened uh, several times uh, uh, that we had a demonstration before we started with the, let's say, the more active part of the, of the event. What, so what it, the other martial really, arts that have been introduced? What were the other? Well, um, Jukendo, Tankendo, for example, uh, of course, uh, um, we had, uh, uh, you know very well who, who is the absolute authority in, in, in those. And um, we had, um, uh, in this moment, uh, I have to remember the name, but there's a, a specific um, martial art that is uh, fought with uh, extremely long uh, spears. And, uh, and that is a logistic challenge <laughs> because uh, it's a specific martial art that is linked to a, a Shinto temple. Uh, and uh, the, there are very few practitioners of uh, that specific martial art. And the interesting part is that the very, very long um, um, spear has got a sort of a cross shape at the very top and uh, with very short uh, arms of this cross. And then there are different ways of using this, uh, um, this device to disarm uh, the opponent who is also using a spear. So, I've seen that demonstrated at the uh, 
the International uh, Budo Seminar that used to be held in Chiba every March. It's a type of uh, sojutsu, but I can't yeah, remember. I can't remember the actual yuha that. Um, uh, yeah, uh, me neither. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is. Um, I, I can provide you exactly the the very long day, and uh, yeah. But um, that that has been one of the the, the, the various opportunity we had. So it, it has it, there has been also some kind of uh, social part. We are very keen on have everybody introducing themselves, even if sometimes it becomes a very huge event. We try to have everybody at least telling their name and where they come from, because it's really important that people understand the, the breadth and width of uh, Kindle and in Japan, but also out of Japan. Yeah, we have the. We haven't obviously been able to do it this year or last year, but the uh, Kendo World Keiko Kai, we've started mm -hmm. doing. We've done nine, I think it is, or, or eight so far. Sorry, and then the ninth one was supposed to be last year. But for that, it's most. I think uh, I was in the last one where Inoue Sensei was. Uh, I That's think, right. Uh, you came to that with uh, Mariyama Sensei, I believe. Uh, actually, yeah. talking about Inoue Sensei, he had pretty much retired yes. from any kendo activity at the time but then um so we i i, I believe it was alex hadn't actually in, invited him because he'd heard that he was kind of retired but then he he found out or it got mentioned and he's like i'm coming i'm coming and i think that, yeah. was, uh, that yeah. was the last one that he he did and um yeah he passed mm -hmm. away not not too long after that i think uh, which is very yeah. sad but he, he yeah that was very sad yeah yeah, he's he's very well known to the other, a lot of the other members of of Kendall. I, I must say that he offered uh, in those uh, uh, seminar um, a very nice um, explanation or interpretation of the first three Kendo no Kata, and I of, often mention that when I when I teach. And uh, yeah, it has been quite an unforgettable seminar. So I think that this kind of uh, initiative where you can mingle and meet uh, both uh, Japanese and Kenshi from out of Japan are really invaluable. And uh, uh, the, the quantity of information that you can uh, get uh, is just uh, astounding. And uh, the experience in general is also under the, the human point of view. It's really, really rewarding. So we, yeah. we, we actually started for that reason, so that more people from around the world could come to the Kendo World one, is that we started arranging it for the day after Kitamoto mm -hmm. seminar had finished, then we would mm -hmm. have the Kendo World one. So for those people that weren't sick of 10 days <laughs> brutal heat in, uh, in Saitama, then they would come to that as well. Actually, we've just had a couple of comments in the chat about the type of sojutsu. Maybe Hozoin Ryu, or uh, Wari Kandyu, maybe. But I think could it be Hosoryu is the one that uses the kind of tube that you hold on to and the and the 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 uh the spear slides through the tube, the idea being that you don't get splinters in your hand. No. One is, uh, I would I would exclude exclude that one. But yeah. I think it's you. I think as a mm -mm. one of our yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
Okay, so so far we've we've spoken about you've had kind of many many different roles within Kendo. You've been the national team member. Um, you started your own dojos and uh, then the World Kendo Network and worked in a in a bogu shop in Kyoto. But you've also had more official type roles. Um, maybe not so exciting as being a national team member <laughs> or organizing these great cultural exchange events, but. You're also a treasurer of the European Kendo Federation and an auditor of the International Kendo Federation. So what exactly does uh, does the work of an auditor... I think everyone would understand what the, a treasurer does, looking mm-hmm. after... Mm-hmm. What's it in, uh, in Italy would be the Euros, I guess. Um, yeah, what about the Euros, most of them. <laughs> what about the auditor of the International Kendo Federation? What type of uh, uh, what type of responsibilities do you have for that? Well, um, the, the main responsibility is to have a formal check uh, on the balance sheet of the International Kendo Federation uh, once a year. Uh, so what we are we are provided because it, it's uh, we are two two auditors. Uh, we are provided uh, with the let's say once a year with all the expenses and incomes of the International Kendo Federation, all the the complete report. And uh, our job is uh, very much to uh, check that is uh, consistent and it's uh, sound that there are reserves built and and so on. And um, so that is mainly our job, and um, which, as you were saying, is not exciting per se, but uh, it's uh, it gives a good idea of the inner workings of the International Kendo Federation, which is, uh, of course, uh, our you know our polar North Pole star for everybody. So we understand how it works. What are the expenses for? And uh, we can appreciate the amount of uh, effort that is spent for uh, officials to travel the world and uh, attend uh, seminars and so on, because most of the expenses are related to that or to the organization of uh, uh, world championship or seminars. So what we do, we simply go through the list and uh, we appreciate uh, if the expenses are consistent with Donatella, I think we've just lost Donatella for a second there. Um, hello? So, not exciting, but uh, it gives you an idea. Okay. So, w- when you get uh, approached to be uh, an auditor, do you have, um, is it like for, for a set, say, a three-year term from, from one world champs to the next one, or just for as long as you want well, to? Uh, just to be on the technical side, since uh, I am an auditor also because I am the treasurer of the European Kendo Federation, and uh, as such, I have a, a term that lasts uh, four years. So every four years, at least on the side of the European auditor, there would be a change uh, of the guard, so to say. Uh, I am in my second uh my, my second mandate for the European Kendo Federation. So also as auditor, I will be doing this job uh, for some years still. 
yeah, I guess. I guess uh, things are kind of quite quiet at the moment with that work because obviously there's been no world championships this year. Yeah. Uh, well, it, uh, it's, it's quite, uh, I must say, in terms of being an auditor, is quiet most of the time because uh, the, the auditor is very much simply checking to, to be the go-ahead before the general assembly. Uh, I can say that it's very quiet also as a European uh, treasurer because, of course, there's been a lot of events that unfortunately had to be cancelled and uh, the last event that we managed to organize was uh, in February 2020. So that was the international, the European zone. Uh, um, oh, the referee um, seminar. Referee seminar, yeah. Oh, and that would have been and, in preparation then, I guess, for the European Championships that was supposed to be. Yeah, the well, European Championship and actually World Championship because, you know, the European... Uh, uh, Zone referee seminar selects uh, the the referees for the European Championship, but also is the same function for the World Championship. So what happened in the last uh, ref referee seminar? We also had a list of uh, World Championship viable referees to be um, to be further selected later on, but unfortunately nothing of this uh, happened. Uh, but uh, yeah. But uh, luckily, we, are, as a European Federation, we are counting on um, starting again soon our activities. Uh, if the vaccination, uh, let's say, rally goes on, and uh, of course the situation is different from country to country, and as you can see, it's also different month uh, from month. Mm -hmm. But uh, if everything uh, is reasonably safe because safe is uh, the most important thing. Uh, we might have, we are actually uh, open the pre-entry for the European Yaido Championship to take uh, place in Serbia later this year. And also we started the organization of the European Kendo Championship for next year in Germany. So we think that things are reasonably opening up, but still some way to go. So it's not business as usual yet. Okay. Well, we're coming uh, almost to an hour, and I know that you've got to get back to work. Uh, Donatella's actually kindly taken a bit of time out of her, her working day. It's a, a 10 p.m. start where I am and a, a 3 p.m. start where she is. But um, we've just had one question from one of our patrons uh, came in. Uh, you mentioned just a, a, a few minutes ago about you enjoyed the explanation of the first three kata that uh, Inoue mm -hmm. Sensei gave. Um, one of our patrons is just wondering if you could um, share anything about the, yeah. that, uh, the explanation of yeah. that, those first three kata. Yeah, I, I will be very brief, but uh, what Inoue Sensei said was that there was a sort of a evolution from the first till the third kata, meaning that in the first kata, you see a duel between two men and one of the, of the two uh, dies. It's uh, mortally wounded over the head. And, uh, but in the second kata, you see that uh, it's not necessarily uh, death that we are talking about. We are severely incapacitating the opponent by cutting his wrist. 
And uh, he said that uh, to him, this was an evolution from what was the Kenjutsu spirit to the Kendo spirit. Because in the third kata, in truth, nobody gets either hurt or killed. And the two uh, Kenshi are free to go and live their lives after the end of the duel. And uh, I found this explanation uh, uh, very touching. And uh, uh, in fact, it's really true that uh, kata are not uh, graded by difficulty but, and not even by, um, let's say, severity of the damage that you, you cause to your opponent. But actually, in the first three, it's the other way around. And it's truly the evolution from kenjutsu to kendo, from the sword that gives death to the sword that gives life. And um, I really appreciated that explanation. And uh, I always uh, repeat it to my students. Yeah, that's a great lesson, yeah. And we're actually hoping at some point to, to get uh, his book, Kendo Kata, uh, Essence and Application, but uh, it's obviously it's not it's not in print at the moment. But that's something that that we've published in the past, and uh, we're hoping, uh, amongst many of our other projects that we've got going, to get that going again. Because we often have inquiries about there's probably secondhand versions of it that you can pick up uh, now and again. But yeah, we, we we need to get that one out as well. So okay, um, well, thank you very much to our patrons for listening in, and uh, hope you've enjoyed it, and hope we've been able to answer uh, all your questions. Uh, Donatella, thank you so much for taking uh, an hour out of your, I'm sure, very busy work day to to speak to us. And it was uh, a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again, and hopefully. Um, before too long, we'll get to see you uh, at the Kendo World Keikokai in Japan again, or or at Kyoto in the Kyoto Taikai, which you take. I really look forward. Yeah. You, you take part in the Kyoto Taikai. Every yeah, month. I I I've been already more than ten times in the Kyoto Taikai. Not a lot of uh, European ladies. Uh, I hope that there will be a bit more. Actually, I've been the only one so far. So at least for the Kendo part, I really hope that there will be more coming. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, to be there again very soon. And ho hopefully the next time you take part in Kyoto, you'll make it onto Japanese TV again, which I think you did last Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they interviewed your opponent as well, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's true. It's true. <laughs> That was a very, very nice, uh, very nice interview, very nice moment. But the Kyoto Taikai is a moment of pure joy for three days. You get drunk out of it, uh, drunk out of Kindle and uh, of joy and uh, possibly also the beers in the evening. And uh, but uh, it's uh, really uh, an experience that uh, I look forward to repeat again. So maybe meet you there. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully things will get back to normal at the earliest yeah. next year uh, if, if yeah hopefully yes yeah get uh, vaccinated if you can <laughs> yeah mine mine's not for another month at work so i've still got a little bit of time to wait um mm -hmm. but yeah hopefully that'll all be done and dusted uh, this time next year donatella mm -hmm. once again thank you very much uh for joining us for this talk it's been great hearing about your kendo experiences and your different jobs within kendo 
Uh, thank you again to all our patrons for listening in and giving questions and also for your support of Kendo World. Uh, we'll come back to you with another KED Talk sometime in August, I hope. Uh, so I hope you can join us for that. Uh, there should be a video of this talk coming up onto YouTube uh, before too long. So once again, Donatella, thank you. And to our patrons, thank you very much for your support of Kendo World. All the best. Thank you, everybody. Bye.